Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. are in Daniel uh, chapter 3 and uh, having a wonderful time in this uh, wonderful book. Do you understand that everybody planning on going to heaven is not going to heaven? That expectations won't get you there. Read any survey and you'll discover that the vast majority, we're talking about in the 90s percentile, of Americans really believe they're going to end up in heaven. It was kind of interesting that uh, Nicole's funeral, I, I didn't go, but uh, just the uh, things that I, and I heard different people saying that now she and her baby are together in heaven. And everybody, uh, go to any funeral, and they're going to just uh, people into heaven, it seems, because, uh, but expectation has nothing to do with reality. I had a date with Laura Lee, my five-year-old granddaughter, a uh, few weeks ago on a Friday evening, and she wanted to go to Raffin Cacoos. And so we set it all up, and I uh, called my friend uh, Eddie, and uh, this is not dialogue, I don't think. Uh, it's monologue. We uh, called Eddie, and I said, uh, I need some flowers because I got a date tonight. And uh, so he fixed me up some daisies and a butterfly on it, a little vase or vase, depending on what shul you went to. And uh, So I got Laura Lee, and I gave her the flowers, and we went to, to Raffin Kaku's. And we got in there, and as we were going to our seats, he says, I've been here before. I said, yeah, we, we've been here several times as a, as a family. And so we sat down, and she said, well, uh, this is not what I expected. I said, well, what did you expect? She said, I was expecting something a little more posh than this. <laughs> Five years old. I said, well, Laura Lee, this is, this is a nice place. Usually, uh, you know, over the years, you, when you, you know, want to go to a nice place, you go to a place like Raffin Kaku's, and a lot of people come here. She said, well, it's, it's, not, it's not as posh as I thought it would be. I said, well, what were you thinking about? She says, I was thinking about this uh, big, beautiful room with a chandelier, and uh, we would eat dinner in that room, and then next to it is another room with a chandelier with a, a little dance floor there, and we would dance after we ate. I said, well, Laura Lee, uh, we'll have to work on that. But are you having fun? She said, well, this is a lot better than my last date. My last date was terrible. It was awful. I said, well, well, tell me about it. She said, it was my daddy, and it was terrible. It was the worst date I've ever had. I said, well, what happened? She says, he took me to Luby's, and we ordered our food, and he reached in his pocket, and he didn't have his bill for and we had to put our food back. I was so embarrassed. It was the worst date I've ever had. <laughs> Expectations. 
Last week in chapter 2, Daniel has worked on Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is almost saved. He came close to bowing his head and his heart to God. But close doesn't count, except horseshoes and hand grenades. But getting close to salvation doesn't count. His thoughts about God were strong enough to shake him, but not enough to save him. Listen, here's a biblical principle. To be almost saved is to be altogether lost. Neb is in a personal struggle. And many times, that's the only time people do business with God. And I'm glad that we have a God who will do business with us when we're in a mess. So he is in this personal struggle. And he has insomnia and insecurity and fear. And he's miserable. As you remember, he had this dream that he could not interpret or understand. And his wise wizards were of no value whatsoever. And Daniel was able to interpret that dream. King Nebuchadnezzar and King Nebuchadnezzar was overwhelmed with Daniel and Daniel's God, so much so that he fell before him in worship. This man realized and recognized that Daniel's God was different from all other gods. He perhaps realized that Daniel's God was superior to all the Babylonian gods put together. Listen to me. Nebuchadnezzar was emotionally moved. He was stirred in his soul. He believed that Daniel's God was the God. But he still was not saved. Verse 47 of chapter 2 says this. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. So, he is touched, but he's not transformed. Stirred, but he's not changed. He is miserable, but he's not broken. We find that out in chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. I mean, he, he almost came to God. He almost bowed his head and his heart to God. Now he's building an image in his own likeness. Ninety feet high, nine feet wide, and set upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. So the satraps, prefects, and all that crowd assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. They were commanded to be there, demanded of the king. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the, the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship this golden image will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace a furnace of fire. Now we know that King Nebuchadnezzar did not repent. He was stirred, but he was not changed. He was touched, but he was not transformed. And how do we know? Because the Bible tells us. See, the Bible says that we cannot judge, but it does say we can be fruit inspectors. And so we're able to see immediately 
The proof is in the pudding. You shall know them by their fruit. Listen, if you claim to know God and you live ungodly day after day, week after week, year after year, there's a good possibility you don't know God. God changes you. We're to live like changed people. So here's a guy who immediately is building a golden image. He is not really changed. He believes in Daniel's God. He knows Daniel's God is superior to the Babylonian gods. But to believe is not enough. In fact, the Bible says the devil believes and trembles. Fred translates that. If you don't believe in God, you're dumber than the devil. But to believe is not enough. Nebuchadnezzar believes in God. Listen to me. But he does not repent. Now there's a segment today of preachers around this country who think we should not preach repentance. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible teaches without repentance, there is no conversion. There is no change. There is no salvation. It's not enough to believe in God. It's not enough to be impressed at what God can do. It's not enough to come to church. If you come to God, it necessitates a repentance, a change. Instead of repenting, what did he do? He built an, an image that was 90 feet tall. That doesn't sound like repentance. Dominated the plane. Let me give you two reasons why he built that image. <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> number one, he had to have a God to look up to. Man is wired for worship. Man is wired for God. And because of that, man will worship something. Everybody in the architect is worshiping something. Whatever order, <coughs> orders you around. You may worship your job. You may worship your family. You may worship your wife. Kind of doubt anybody worships their husband, but whatever is ordering your life around and becomes the absolute priority in your life is your God. The Bible says no one but God is worthy of worship. Voltaire, the, the atheist, said, if there is no God, and he didn't believe there was a God, if there is no God, then we must invent one. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. He invented his own God. He knew that he had to have a deity. And he wanted a de he'd already had experience with Daniel's God. And Daniel's God had overwhelmed him. So now he's got to have a God. And he's not going to repent and bow down to the true God. So he builds this statue, this 90 feet tall. Because he wants something to look up to. It's like uh, inventagod.com kind of thing. There's a lot of that in America today. I mean, you don't have to give in to what the Bible's saying, that old ancient archaic book. You just invent your own God and have that God tell you what you want to hear. So that you can do what you want to do. Just invent your own God. That's exactly what he did. But listen to me. The most foolish thing a person ever does in this life is to do his own thing and control his own life. Sooner or later, you're going to need more than you to handle life. 
You're going to need God. That's one thing about our church. I want our church to be the kind of church and the kind of reputation where anybody's loved and a warm place. So, because I believe that sooner or later, everybody in this area will at one time or another have to think about God. Some tragedy, some terrible thing will cause that person to cry out to God. And when they think God, I want them to think, hey, that church over by the mall, they love people. They care about people. They seem to be a happy church. I don't hear about them fussing and fighting. Maybe that's the place that I could go. Two reasons why he built the image. One, he wanted a God to look up to. That was what the Tower of Babel was all about. Man-centered religion. Master of our own fate. We're our, we, we are gods ourselves. The second thing, he was an image builder. Nebuchadnezzar really worshipped himself, if you really want to know the truth. And he was already so tired of himself. But then, remember when we, when we looked at that, that statue of the different kingdoms that would rise and fall, and the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar. And when Daniel told him, that's you, you are the head of gold, that just stuck in his mind. And he was probably thinking, you know, now everybody's going to recognize what I've known all along. I am solid gold. I am the king. I am the greatest ruler. And so that, that just was like pouring gasoline on a fire already. It just, it just fueled his pride. Head of gold, and so I'll build this, this huge image of gold. Now, we don't know if it was solid gold or not. It was... Uh, it could have been a veneer coating, a, a gold uh, coating. Uh, it just looked like gold. You know, most things that look like gold aren't really gold. Uh, the things that you, in, in many of the stores that you buy, you know, it's uh, gold, but it has some gold in it, but it's not solid gold. Solid gold, as you know right now, is very expensive. And the reason I know is because I don't own any. It's just, just kept going up. But very few things are solid gold. It's just like furniture. You know, you see these uh, furniture and, uh, you know, you can get this whole bedroom suit for $850 and it's solid wood. What it really means is that it's solid wood in a few spots. Uh, I mean, you know, in two or three places. But there's a difference between solid wood and not solid wood. Solid gold and not solid gold. Here's, what, here's, the, here's the point of the whole thing. Gold shines and the cheap stuff sometimes looks absolutely beautiful. And many of you are wearing it this morning. And you ought to because it's beautiful. But what I want to say is all of you look good this morning and you, you're shiny on the outside. But that, that does not mean that you have the real stuff on the inside. See, all of you look like sold out, saved, surrendered, serving Christians. I mean, you do. You've got the look. And you're all dressed up and you're, you know, you're shiny gold this morning. But the question is, is it real or is it fake? Is it just an image? He was an image builder. 
what is an image? An image is about covering reality with shine and with bling and with spin. So that what you want to be or dream to be, that's not what you really are. You're just appearing to be that. You're wanting others to think that's what you are. Have we become image builders? Have we been defiled by this culture and allowed this culture to seep into our souls? The Pharisees were all about image. The Pharisees were the fairest of the fair. They were the purest of the pure. I mean, they never missed church. They even got their own time. So I throw that in. I, I mean, the, the Pharisees, let's read about them in Matthew uh, 23. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It's amazing how strong Jesus got, wasn't it? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, church leaders, church workers. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Why doesn't he tell it like it is? See, God is saying, it's not what you look like on the outside. It's not what you appear. That's all about image. It's what you really are on the inside. So let me give you a test. If you're, if you're too much into image, if you're an image builder, if you and I appear to be better than or more than we really are, we're in the image. Here's the real test. If we're more concerned about what others see on the outside than we are about what God sees on the inside, we are image builders. And that's what Jesus called these hypocrites. And, and there is some hypocrisy in all of us. But some are always what we appear to be on the outside. So he, here's, here's the truth as Christians. We are to be real. We are to be authentic. We're not to be fake. And you know, one, we'll talk about this next Sunday. Do you know one of the reasons God allows trials and struggles and fires us to go through the fire in our lives is to get the fake out of us, to force us to get real, to force us to deal what really means something, what's really valuable, what really counts. What's really worth giving our lives to? He wants us to be real. That means the same person in the black of night as we are in the light of day. 
That means the same person in church, the same person at home. It means to be the same person in church and the same person on the way to church. Hello? Anybody tracking with me? It's amazing how you can fight all the way to church, and then once you get out of the car, you're telling everybody, good morning, good to see you, God love you, isn't God good? And the kids are wondering, what happened? What line did we cross? And all of a sudden, we started playing our image and appearing to be something that we're really not. I mean, how many times do these greeters here that somebody walks up to them and says, good morning, how are you? We're not too good, we just had a bad fight in the car. We need to go in church. <laughs> they probably never heard that, but if they could read minds, they would probably realize that happens more often than we want to think about. So, uh, is our image to be like? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans eight twenty nine, for those who foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So our image is to be in the likeness of Christ. That's who we are to be like from the inside out. See, cleaning up the outside is not going to work. It's an inside deal. The inside is always the problem. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I didn't mean to say that it was a slip of the tongue. No, it was a slip of the heart. It's a heart problem. And we're good at just putting on this fake stuff. You're mad at somebody. And when you see them, you look at them and talk to them and act like nothing's gone wrong. Like everything is wonderful. When inside... Your insides are churning. Well, what you need to do is you need to deal with that heart issue. Of course, some of you take a step more than that, and you take the next aisle and avoid the person. That's a heart problem. And the outside is not what's going to make the difference in your life. It's what you do on the outside. Christianity is from the inside out not about works. It's not from the outside in. It's not about cleaning up your life. You can't. It's not about cleaning up your attitude. You can't. God has to do that, and he works from the inside out. But those early Christians were called little Christ. That's where they got the name Christian. So we're to take on the image of Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar's huge image of look good on the outside. I would have loved to have seen it. I mean, I've never seen a nine feet tall gold image. But I'd like to. I imagine it was shiny gold and beautiful. But here's the truth. On the inside, no matter what it was made of, it was a dumb, dead deity. Unable to help anybody. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest world ruler, perhaps... To ever live. The greatest kingdom. But on the inside he was dead. And if you don't know God on the inside you are dead. You're dead to life. You're dead to marriage. You're dead to hope. Dead. 
He got close to getting saved in chapter 2, but he didn't get saved. In Daniel 4, Daniel will, he actually wins him to God. And he'll come to God in chapter 4. But in chapter 3, he's touched, but he's not transformed. He's stirred, but he's not changed. He's shaken, but he's not saved. And that's where a lot of people are today. That's the major problem in the church. People who've been touched, but not transformed. Stirred, but not changed. And many of you, when you go back to your salvation experience, it wasn't conversion because there was no repentance and there was no change. It, it was that you were stirred and you made some kind of decision. But you don't know God. And that's what, that's what jumps out at me from this from this text because I believe with all my heart more people are going to hell the religious route than any other way religion is a curse a cure it'll send people to hell so some of you in this very room are close to being saved or you wouldn't even be here this morning but, but you're not saved but what I want you to understand and this comes from my heart of love I want you to understand that even though you're close to being saved you are as lost as the worst sinner in the architects. And if you die, you both go to the same hell. Understand that. Make sure that you, that you put that into your mind and you think about that. Chew on that for these next few minutes. That even though you are in church every Sunday, and even though you've done some good things, you have some works in your life, and even though you've had some feelings, you're close to being saved, but you're not saved. That means you're just as lost as the worst sinner in this community. And if you die, you go to the same hell. Some of you are close to being surrendered to God, but you're not surrendered. Some of you are close to serving God, but you're not serving. Some of you are close to sharing but you're not sharing. Let me give you two Bible examples of being close. King Agrippa in, in Acts 26, 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I mean, he's saying, King, I know that you believe the prophets. So you can believe the Bible and go to hell. I believe there are going to be enough preachers in hell to have a Bible conference. Trying to figure out how they messed up. How they missed it. You can read the Bible every day and still go to hell. Agrippa, I know you believe the prophets. I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost persuadest me to be a Christian. In Mark 12, verse 34, here's a Bible teacher. You can be a Bible teacher and end up in hell. You say, Pastor, I think you're too hard. Excuse me, this is not me. This is what this book says. This is truth. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said to them, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. I mean, here's a guy who knows that the true God is God. He knows that the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, I'm glad that you know all of that. 
I'm glad that you know the Bible. I'm glad that you are a Bible teacher. I'm glad that you can quote scripture. I'm glad that you understand that God is God. You are not far, but you are not in the kingdom. Jesus is saying that. It's not enough to be in church. It's not enough even to teach a Bible study class. It's not enough to memorize scripture. It's not what you do externally. It's what happens internally. And that begins with repentance and change. Two phrases. Not far, but not in. Almost persuaded. A runner slides in the home plate, he almost made it. But he's still out. Whether it's dust or distance that separates, you are as out as if you'd missed it a mile. If you missed the lottery, I know you wouldn't ever do a lottery ticket, but if you missed it by one number, you missed it. And the person who got it by one number will not share it with you. So it's not enough to get close. And that's what we're learning in this, in this passage. Let me give you four key words to put in your mind and think about for these next few short minutes. Number one, salvation. Number two, surrender. Number three, serving. And number four, sharing. Because that's where so many in this room are. Some of, some of you may be close to salvation, but you're not saved. And I want you to be saved today. Some of you are close to surrendering, to giving God first place in your life. But you're not doing that. At one time you did or you couldn't have been saved. But now you, you've let other things get in God's way. And God is not the absolute priority. Today that could change in your life. Right now you're still in control. You're still calling the shots. It's still about you. You're not yet, you're not surrendering to God. Others, you are close to serving God, but you're still not serving. You're close to sharing what God's done in your life, sharing the gospel, but you're not sharing. Close to giving, but you're not giving. Because you're so concerned about image that you're living in your tithe or you're driving your tithe. Because it's image that matters. Why, why would people be so close and yet not get in with God? Why would someone know about God and yet not give himself or herself to God? Why get close but not go ahead and make that commitment? Let me give you some reasons. Number one is performance. Acts 16.30, he, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So many people think salvation is based on what you do. And the average person thinks as long as I do good things. And you know what we all believe? We, we read the paper and we watch Fox News and we know that there are a bunch of bad people in this country and in this world and we're not nearly that bad. That's the crowd that's going to hell. I'm going to make it to heaven. 
There's nothing wrong with that. It's simply not biblical. The Bible says it's not of works lest any man should boast. In fact, the difference between the religion is the difference between do and done. Other religions is what you do that gets you into heaven. Even some wild things so bizarre that if you give yourself, blow yourself up, then you make it to heaven and have all these sensual and sexual opportunities in heaven. Christianity is what has been done for you. Christ did for you what you could not even do for yourself. He died that you might be forgiven, that you might be saved. Jesus said it's finished. God's work of redemption complete. Performance. Problems. Something happened and you blame God. It's amazing how many people, I promise you there are people all over the architects who are not church today because something happened. It didn't go their way. It didn't go as they planned. By the way, life is what happens to us while we're planning what we're going to do. But something went wrong and you blamed God. If you blame God, you're going to blame the church. You're going to blame the preacher. And so people are not willing to give themselves to God or to surrender to God or to serve God because of something that happened. Maybe a divorce or mispromotion or hurt feelings. Can you imagine missing heaven and going to hell because of some, something that happened that didn't go like you thought it ought to go down? How foolish. People. Well, there are too many hypocrites in the church. Since you brought that up, I want to say three things about that. Number one, I agree there are too many hypocrites in the church. But I want hypocrites to come to church because I got a shot at them. God has a shot at them. The Word of God has a shot at them. They can change. The second thing is, if you hide behind a hypocrite, you've got to be smaller, watch now, you've got to be smaller than the hypocrite you're hiding behind. Third thing, I'd rather come to church and sit by a hypocrite than to go to hell with a whole gang. Don't use that excuse, people. Passions. Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you like, he said, go sell everything, give the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Here's a man who's in the image. Success and status and stuff. Come and follow me, says Jesus, but you've got to give up your stuff. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, those who have so much stuff. What a message for our day. Procrastination. Did you know I've never met a person who intended to go to hell? Not one. But yet hell will be full. 
Acts 24, verse 25, Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. He was convicted. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. The same time he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Can you imagine having frequent conversations with the Apostle Paul who epitomized the gospel? Who every time he opened his mouth was talking about what Jesus could mean in a life. And here was a guy who was so involved in the world and in power and in status. He was mentally bright. He was religiously respectable. He was politically powerful. He was socially prominent. He had it all. But he was lost and on his way to hell. And so he gets up to talk to Paul, and he listens. He stirred. He even trembles. But he's not changed. He says, when, it, when I get ready, when it's more convenient to me, I'll do it. May I tell you that you don't come to God when you get ready. You come to God when God calls you. And no, the Bible does not say anyone can be saved tomorrow. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can be saved tomorrow. You can be saved when it's convenient for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says now is the accepted time. This is your opportunity. Nobody is certain of tomorrow. Unfortunately, I've buried many people who intended to get saved, many people who intended to get right with God, many people who intended to start serving God. I've been with people in the hospital who said, Pastor, when I get out of this hospital, I'm going to be in church every Sunday, and I'm going to give to God, and I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to be faithful. But they died before they ever got out of the hospital. Good intentions. Three things every Christian has. Number one, a miracle to prove. Ladies and gentlemen, if you got saved, it was a miracle. And a miracle that is life-changing. And if you're still the same person, you're not saved. Oh, we're not what we ought to be, but thank God we're not what we used to be. And you can tell the difference. There's a miracle. To show that something happened. Something changed me from within. A message to me. All of us are commanded to share the gospel. It's not optional. And a ministry to perform. God's given us gifts so that we're all to be involved in a ministry. So let me give you a spiritual checkup as I close this morning. You, you might want to fill it in there unless you're sitting close to somebody you think might look on. Because we, I don't want to mess up your image. Where are you in relation to salvation? Not far? Almost persuaded? Persuaded. Where are you in relation to serving? Not far? Almost serving? Serving. 
Where are you in relation to sharing? Sharing the good news, sharing the God in you with other people. Share possessions, your treasures. Are you not far? Almost sharing? Are you sharing? You see, God has given you time and talents and treasures and a testimony for the purpose of honoring and glorifying Him. Of letting Him use you and work through you in building His kingdom. That's why He leaves us on this earth when He saves us. Otherwise, He would have killed us at baptism. We are saved to serve. We are saved to share. All of us. Say, well, preacher, I believe all that stuff. But you don't know how tired I am. I'm just tired. Like I've been arning all day with a like they used to. Tired. Well, my friend, if you let God work from the inside out, and you let God be God in your life, He energizes you to serve. And to share. And you can count on that. Lee and I were in Moscow. And one of the things that I'll never forget as long as I live. In talking with two or three churches there. Asking about their attendance. How many members and how many attend. They had this strange look on their face. What do you mean? They all attend. They all give. They all serve. How, how biblical and yet how uncommon in our country. They understood Christianity to the core. In Matthew 7 it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, did we not do this or that? Then I will tell them, I knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The biggest surprise in heaven is when people get there expecting to get in, only to hear the words, I don't know who you are. Sorry, I never knew you. But I went to church. Sorry, I never knew you. But I gave to, to some people who were needy. Sorry, I never knew you. I tried to help people and do good things. Sorry, I never knew you. In any survey you read, you'll find that most people die unexpectedly. The next part of that survey, most people die lost. Most die unexpectedly, and most die lost. Do you understand that if you are almost saved, you're altogether lost, and you turn that another way, if you are 90% saved, you are 100% lost. You do the math. When people are confronted with truth, as I've confronted you this morning, there are really three options. You can accept 
And that's the wisest, smartest thing you'll ever do. You can reject. That's the most thing you could ever do. And one day I can guarantee you that you'll regret it. Or you can procrastinate. And that's what many of you have done up until now. See, the devil is the one who wants you to miss heaven and to make hell. And the devil is smart enough to tell you, oh, the Bible's, yeah, sure, it's true. And the devil believes in God. And the devil doesn't mind you coming to church at all. Oh, he doesn't want you to get involved. He doesn't want you to serve. He doesn't want you to give. He doesn't want you to share. But he wants you to come to church. And then when you come and you hear the truth of God and the Holy Spirit which is you who are success-minded, he is your personal trainer. See, some of you have personal trainers for the outside, and, and that's fine, fine. But if you've got a personal trainer for the outside and you're ignoring the personal trainer inside, that's stupid. That says you're in the image, you're not, you're not into God. Satan whispers in your ear, the preacher's right. It's true. But you got plenty of time, not now. You can do it next time. There'll be other Sundays. You're in the middle of the road. You're in the top section. It'll take too long to get down there. You don't know what to say when you get here. That's the devil talking to you. My friend, if God's word has troubled your heart this morning... That's God's Holy Spirit, your personal trainer, saying something needs to happen. A change needs to take place. Are you close to salvation? Or are you saved? Are you close to serving God? Or are you serving God? Do you have a ministry? Are you close to sharing what God's doing in your life, sharing the gospel? Or are you really sharing the gospel? We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.